We are in the book of Galatians together in a, in a series called Fruit of the Spirit, Internal Gospel Growth. I'm going to be reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, and in two other places, Titus and Ephesians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Titus, written by the Apostle Paul, chapter 3, verse 3 through 7. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing, regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, Transpasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. So that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And one last verse, chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word this morning. Okay, so children, you're dismissed for Children's Church. And we're going to jump into this fruit of the Spirit of kindness. Galatians chapter 5. We're in a series looking at each piece or each characteristic. There are nine of them produced by the Spirit in the believer. We said the fruit was singular. Purposely, Paul writes that this is singular. It's produced in us symmetrically like a cluster of grapes. The work of the Spirit grows together. And, and in some ways, it's how we know whether we are growing in just a natural temperament or we're growing in the spirit supernaturally because they all grow together. It's not a natural temperament. It is the work of the spirit. Through the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all those things may grow at different rates. It's a process, but it's symmetrical, and it's an internal work of God. Laws and rules and, and do's and don'ts may change outward behavior, but only the inner work of the Holy Spirit can change the heart. The spirit goes where the law Do's and don'ts cannot go. We've been saying there's a major difference between a morally restrained heart, a heart that's seeking to gain acceptance, approval, and, and, and uh, uh, being justified, 
by self-effort, those things that work-based salvation will produce things of the flesh that you found, we find in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. The flesh, the sarks, the, the, the sinful nature NIV has is a desire to live back under the law. It, it instinctively looks for a way to have a, a way of self-salvation, a way of to be justified by our actions and our deeds. But, but a supernaturally changed heart A heart that is resting on and relying upon the gospel is free from self-effort and therefore is free to experience true love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. How? Because it is the gospel. It is being justified by faith alone in Christ alone that tells me that I matter to God, that I am loved and I am accepted not by my moral performance, but by Jesus' moral performance. My value, my meaning is secure in the gospel. His love is clear in the gospel. My joy is complete in the gospel. His peace is given to me in the gospel. And I'll grow in patience as I press in the truth that God suffered in the person and work of Jesus Christ while Jesus was entrusting himself to the Father. He didn't retaliate. He didn't punish. Therefore, I too can be slow to anger. We talked about this last week. And be patient as I frequently reflect on the gospel, the forgiveness and patience of God toward me. Dr. Keller Keller says these helpful words. He says, This fruit of the Spirit is not just an intellectual exercise. We must worship Christ. With the help of the Holy Spirit, adoring Him, Jesus, until our hearts find Him more beautiful than the object we felt we have to have. As we do that, he says, we will put to death our old sinful nature, the flesh, clearing room for the fruit of the Spirit to grow, and we will find that fruit growing, changing us more and more into the people we long to be and God desires to be, end quote. With the help of the Holy Spirit, adoring Him, our hearts will find more beauty in Him, and that stuff that we chase after will soon dissipate. That's what he's saying. And this morning, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit called kindness. The kindness that the fruit of the Spirit wants to produce in our life as children of God is not simply, and I've been studying this, thinking about this all week, it's not simply the random acts of kindness that we see promoted around the world. Now, those are good things, I've I, I got to tell you. I mean, random acts of kindness, you probably heard it. There's organizations out there that, that promote it. It is good. It is certainly promotes relationships, forces community, compassion, consideration for others. But when the Bible talks about kindness, even when we talk of things about love, it's not just the act, but it's the motive. The Bible gets to the hold of, of the heart. There's some who say, you know what, motives don't matter. If someone's being kind and generous and compassionate toward others, that's all that matters. Well, motives matter to God. If whatever we do does not come from faith and is not for the sole purpose, or at least the primary purpose, of the glory of God, it's for self-glory. Whether it's any other cause, even if it's a good cause, if it does not bring honor and glory to God, it's dishonoring to God. Romans 14. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that God loves us so much that he gives us what we so desperately need. And that's himself, first and foremost. Not the gifts, not the things, not the kids, not the grandkids, not, not good jobs. What he gives of himself to us, that is the greatest good. That is the most loving thing God can do, is to show us his glory. 
That's the, why the reason, that's the reason why the fruit of the Spirit is wrought by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit longs to show us Christ. The Holy Spirit longs to bring glory to Christ. The Holy Spirit longs to conform us to the image of Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the fruit of the Spirit. My, my point is simply that although it is noble and good to participate in racks of, you know, random acts of kindness, if God is not getting the glory, it's selfish, it's unspiritual, and of no eternal value. Which brings me to my first point, and that is the character of God. When we talk about kindness, we talk about the character of God. Now the word kindness in the New Testament, karestatos, means, can be translated, it is translated mercy or benevolent generosity or usefulness even. It's an active desire to recognize and meet the needs of others. Recognize and meet the needs of others. I got up there two, two uh, dictionaries. One Tyndale. State of being that includes the attributes of loving affection, sympathy, friendliness, patience, pleasantness, gentleness, and goodness. The Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary says, talks about the Hebrew word translated kindness is kesed or hesed. You've heard that covenant kindness and loving uh, a covenant love as compassion and faithfulness to one's obligations as well to relatives, friends, and slaves, okay? This is what Jerry Bridges, some of you know Jerry Bridges, wrote some really good books on grace. Uh, he's an author, he's a Bible teacher. He writes this, kindness is the inner disposition created by the Holy Spirit that causes us to be sensitive to the needs of others, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual. Kindness is the, created by the Holy Spirit in a disposition to be sensitive to the needs of others, physical, emotional, spiritual, end quote. It's an ability to, to, to serve others practically with, with a deep inner security that allows a heart to be radically otherness or other-centered. Because real and genuine kindness is willing to be radically generous. And I'm not just talking about money. It's ability to see others as precious to God. And out of a heart of love, serve them with kindness. It it could be a word. It could be a simple deed. It could be a massive gift. But let's be honest. We have a tendency, a natural tendency, to be concerned about what's going on in our life about our obligations, about our troubles, about our plans, what's going on with us. But when we are growing in kindness, we develop a genuine interest of those around us. And how do we do that? We have to first recognize kindness is part of the character of God. Kindness is part of the character of God, and he is working in us to conform us to the image of Christ. Now, if you remember a couple of months ago when we studied the book of John, the night on Jesus' betrayal, Judas had betrayed him. Jesus is now in the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers come out to get him, and Peter draws a sword. And what does he do? He cuts off the ear of Malchus. He is the servant of the high priest. And what does Jesus do? Did Jesus turn to Peter and say, dude, you missed. I know you're trying to cut his head off. You got his ear. Try it again. He didn't do that. Does Jesus just leave the man bleeding there and saying, that's what you get? Hanging with the wrong crowd, coming to get me. No, he doesn't do that either. The guy that's willing to come out and looking to crucify the Messiah, he heals him. Even while he's being arrested, that's the example, an incredible example of kindness. Instead of worrying about himself, the pain that he is uh, ready to endure, he reacts with kindness and compassion and brings and heals the man to wholeness. 
In Luke 6, Jesus talking about loving your enemies. Because he says, basically, loving the people who love you really is not impressive at all. And he says this in Luke 6, For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that of you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he, the Most High, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He, the Most High, is both kind and to the ungrateful and to the evil. And here we see an insight into this character of kindness of God working in us. You see, he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. In fact, if you were listening while I was reading Scripture, uh, you'll see in Ephesians chapter 2 that the word kindness that he speaks about in, in Ephesians and in Titus the context is Paul is first tells us how <laughs> wicked and corrupt we are, and then in that corruption speaks of the unsurpassed riches of grace expressed through the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, dead in sins, following the prince of the power of the air, living in disobedience, living in passion, carrying out the desires of the flesh, by nature children of wrath, but... God steps in. He's rich in mercy, verse 4. Great love for us, verse 4. Verse 5, we were dead. He made us alive with Christ by grace. We've been saved, raised up, verse 6. Seated in the heavenly places with Christ, verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches, immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Same thing with Titus 3. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. That's all of us, right? Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. But again, God steps in. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not by self-justification, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, That's why context is really important. It shows us that God's kindness toward us was given to us when we did not deserve it. Actually, the opposite is true. God's kindness comes in stark contrast to our undeservedness. That's a word, I don't know, but you know what I mean. God did not give us what we deserve, but was kind to us instead. What did Malchus deserve? What did he get? And what we do is we're drawing on this, we're learning a lesson from this character of God, this kindness of God, that he is kind to the ungrateful, to the wicked, to the corrupt, the hopeless and rebellious, and if we are to allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow in us, if we are allowed to, if we are yielding and resting in the gospel, we are kind to the ungrateful, the corrupt, and the rebellious you will know that you are growing in the fruit of the Spirit produced by God, by the Spirit, when you desire joy and happiness in others, when your inner disposition created by the Holy Spirit causes us not only to be sensitive to the needs of others, but in particular, this is the tough part, particular, let me say, for people not like you. It's easy to be kind to those like you. You're just like me. I'll help you out. And let me say this before we move on. 
Like patience, we looked last week, God's kindness toward you in the gospel will run out. God will judge with severity to those who refuse to come to the kindness that he has shown to us in the gospel. Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And he's not talking about personal salvation. If you look at the context, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's talking about the nation of Israel and the Gentiles. He's saying that God's kindness was to the Gentiles. He grafted them in to the vine himself, and God's was was severe and he cut off Israel because of their unbelief. Now my point in bringing this up is not to get into sovereignty issues, election issues, preservation issues. My point in bringing this up is that the certainty, listen, the certainty of God's severity for those who refuse to come to Christ should flee us and help us run and and soar us to God's kindness. If God's severity will come and cut people off because of the refusal to accept the kindness and goodness of God in the gospel, let that be a warning to you and and let that be an opportunity to run and fly to the kindness of God in the gospel. You and I, by our deeds and our misdeeds, have and will and do deserve, I should say, the severity of God. We deserve his rightful anger and his just wrath against our sin. Even in our culture, we know that sin and, and, and broken laws is a debt that needs to be paid. All of us get angry when we see injustice being done. Whether it's a murderer or a rapist who gets off scot-free, there's a part of us that says, that's not right. And you and I have sinned against God, rebelled against God. We don't do what he says, and we do what he says don't do. You and I, without question, pursue other things besides God and give glory not do his name. You and I are idolaters and we break the first commandment. We're all in that same boat. But rather than leave us in that condition, Jesus came to us in the kindness of God to bear our sin, to be our substitute, to die an atoning death, to pay the penalty for our sin, our sin death, yours and mine, and on the cross, Jesus takes the wrath for my sin, dies in my place, and dies a atoning death. That's the kindness of God. And because Jesus is, Jesus is righteous, who fulfilled the law perfectly, by faith he will give us his righteousness, counted towards us, imputed to us, so that we can stand before God. Forgiven, and righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. He alone lived out the law completely. That is the kindness of God. Don't walk out of here until you have dealt with and understood and accepted his kindness toward you in the gospel. Was it earned? No. Was it deserved? No. God's kindness is by grace alone. And when we understand that, that translates for us, and it's ought to, that we are to love others with no regard to their social, economic, or intellectual, any other position. We are to love them as God loves us. We are to be kind to them as God is kind to us. We must consider others. Let's look at point two. And I'm going to push this a little bit further, okay? Let's be honest. 
as I said. It's easy to love those like us. There's a natural temperament, inclination to show kindness to those that have familiar familiarity with us. Maybe it's friends, it's family, it's nice neighbors. It's easy for them to show kindness to them, loving affection and sympathy and, and friendliness. It's much harder to show those who are just rub us the wrong way. Have you ever tried to be kind to somebody? And when you're kind to them, what you get was, leave me alone, you're an idiot. Like, really, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being kind to you. And they don't want kindness. And the first thing you think at that moment is, I'm going to be three times more kind to you as much as I can. <laughs> That's not the first thought. The first thought you thought was, you know what? Never again. That's what, right? So one's the flesh and one's the spirit. You know which one, right? One's the flesh, one's the spirit. God doesn't turn his back on the ungrateful. The Holy Spirit wants to develop this, this kind considerate disposition and sensitivity to others with a true desire for their well-being and a willingness to serve people. To have a genuine interest for others. As I said, there are many organizations, I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a world day, a world day, one day of kindness. It's Monday, November 13th. I didn't know that. There's a national day of kindness. It's February 13th. We have these organizations, I don't know, you looked online, I was telling my wife, you know, I'm watching these random acts of kindness on Google, just kind of getting a feel, getting ready for this, and I'm just in my office weeping. It's, it's beautiful. But it's not like one day. 364 days a week, a year, you could be as unkind as you want, but on National Kindness Day, why these organizations? Why does Paul have to instruct the church in Ephesians 4, that bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with marriage, be kind, malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Why does he say that? Because by nature, we can't be kind to everybody. We can be selfish and not compassionate. God calls us to be like him. One of, the beautiful, one of the beautiful stories in the Bible, in the Holy Scripture, about an act of kindness is found in first, well, Second Samuel, but it begins in First Samuel. King David made a promise to Jonathan, his close comrade, that he would show kindness to his family if anything had happened to Jonathan. And in First Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan says to David, show me unfailing kindness. Show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness... As long as I live, so that I may not be killed and do not ever get cut off from the kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth, it says. So Jonathan, 1 Samuel 20, makes a covenant with the house of David. So as you move on in the story, uh, Jonathan dies a, a bloody death alongside his father, which was King Saul, and David takes the throne. And as, and as king, David could have done what traditionally kings did in those days. Kings would step in and take over dynasties and take over land and take over people. And they would say, bring me everyone from the other dynasty, from the other kingdom that I've just conquered. All the family and relatives. And they would kill them. They didn't want any chance of having any insurrection, have any threat to the throne. And they would kill the opposite, the, the opposing or the losing side. But that's not what David did. 
David makes his covenant with Jonathan and shows him kindness. And if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, 2 Samuel 9, I want to read this story to you. Jonathan's son, his name is, this is quite a name, Mephobesheth. Okay, Meth-e-bosheth. So for now on, I'm calling him Meth because I'm not saying that ten times. His name is Meth, but it's Mephobesheth. Okay, 2 Samuel 9. And David said, is there anyone left at the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? That's a good name for you, you're looking for one. And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? That I may show the kindness of God to him? And the king said, is there not... so kind of him. Ziba said to king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. He's invalid. The, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said, he's in the house of Makar, the son of Amuel. The king David said, sent and brought him from the house to himself. And Meth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face and paid homage. And David said to Meth, and he answered him, Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant, is Meth talking, that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belongs to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you, this is the servant, and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that the master's grandson may eat the bread. But Meth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons, 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, According To all that my Lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. Okay? So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's son. And Meph had a younger son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Meph's servants. So Meph lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. And it just adds, the writer adds very at the end, that he was lame in both feet just to reinforce the kindness of God he gets to always eat not be slaughtered at the king's table permanent status how great John writes in first John is the love the father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God and I love in verse 7 of second Samuel David says to Meth, like are you him Do not fear. And I thought, that's what Jesus said over and over to his disciples who were scared to death when he showed up after he rose from the grave. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. God draws his people to himself and and out of kindness, he gives them reassuring words. Oh, family, we should relish. Relish in our adoption. Revel in the kindness and eternal implications for us in the gospel. He says, as for meth, said the king, he shall always eat at my table. Grace brings privileges to the children of God. 
And God in kindness says, come to the table through the precious blood of my son and be my treasured possession. We are the lame. We are the invalids. We are the helpless. We are the powerless that have come to realize that we have received the kindness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, that we may come to the king's table and eat permanently. And that's King Jesus. We deserve to be cast out, yet we are invited in. We can be considerate of others and kind toward others when we experience and understand the great kindness of God and know the power of that kindness in the demonstration of God's love for us. Now, kindness, as I said, could be expressed in financial kindness, but it does not have to be finance. You don't have to be wealthy to be kind and generous. In ways, there are notes you can write. There are, there are uh, attitudes that you can change. There are actions and words that we can show kindness to others. But let me tell you what the primary, I believe, the most important act of kindness we can show, that's gospel. That is declaring and demonstrating the gospel. In fact, I believe that any form of kindness that's growing out of the spirit in us as we love one another and care for one another, we're kind to another, has a gospel dimension to it. But you can't just feed the body, you have to feed the soul. Genuine kindness, biblical kindness, is concerned about the soul, the spiritual welfare of others. It doesn't neglect the physical, the emotional, but it doesn't end there. Someone once said, how kind we are shows what kind we are. What kind of person are you? Do you cherish the name of Christ? Do you marvel regularly at the kindness of God toward you? Are you willing to demonstrate it practically and declare the gospel of kindness faithfully? Are you looking around? Are you seeking the the face of God and and the direction God would have you to show kindness to others? You know what unkind people look like? Unkind people, they're, they're harsh. They're harsh. Kind of in your face, say whatever they want. They're cruel. They're cold. Often unapproachable. Nobody wants to be around unkind people. They got a chip on their shoulder. They're selfish, small-minded. May that never be of God's people. True kindness, let me tell you two last things we move on. True biblical kindness is not, we said everything it was, true biblical kindness is not Counterfeit manipulation, showing good deeds, doing good for others so that I can feel the applause, the pat on the back. I may feel that I'm better than you. Simple acts of kindness can impact people, but it should not be done to manipulate people in order to gain some sort of selfish goal. Every one of us have done it. We need to grow and not do it. Loving kindness must first and foremost be for the glory of God. We must go beyond showing kindness just to those we think, but to really show the glory and goodness of God to us toward others. Secondly, being kind to others does not mean that we can't talk to them, that we can't deal with and confront them in love, speaking the truth in love. Sometimes, sometimes we think we're being kind. What we're doing is enabling. And, and, and we need to have discernment. We need to have prayer. We need to be in community. 
so that we can show kindness in a way that is discerning, okay? But for now, we're talking about a supernatural work, transforming the heart to a kind heart by the Spirit through the gospel. And now we get to the final point is how do we get cultivate that? We must always remember first that kindness is not an easy or cheap novelty. The kindness of God comes with a price. Turn your Bibles again, Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So kindness, genuine biblical kindness, is related to the work of Christ on your behalf. Now look at this text. Verse 31, there are six negative characteristics we ought to put away. Look what it says. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. What do we replace it with? Kindness, see that? Tenderheartedness, compassion. How? By forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, there are two things I want us to see quickly in this text that you may not catch right away. Number one, in the text when it says put away these things, put away, in the original language, which is in, in the Greek in the New Testament, it is a passive verb. In other words, the subject is being acted upon, so it's basically saying you and I are, are, are the ones that God is doing it to us and for us. So it's not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do in us. What we need is God. What we need is the Spirit of God to come and do His work. It's easy to show an outward demonstration of kindness and grace and love. And that's, that will be short-lived. But it's different when we do it for the glory of God. Not for the deeds of the flesh, but for the glory and beauty of relying upon the gospel. Paul is saying you need faith, you need God, you need the work of the Spirit, number one. Putting away, negative, but it's, it's a passive verb. It's being acted upon. Number two, the word forgiving here is not the usual word for forgiveness in the New Testament that has to do with putting away or sending away or sending off. This word here, karazomai, is different. It, it has a tendon, it has a, well, karas is, is, is the Greek word for grace and kindness, and that's the root word. It has to do with doing something pleasant, doing someone a favor, being benevolent, treating a, a transgressing party, someone who sinned against you, graciously. Paul tells us, look, I want you to see this. When Paul tells us how we are to forgive by using that tiny little word as, circle that as, how we are to forgive as Christ forgave us in the same way. We know that he wants to teach us that we ought to forgive in kindness to the party, in grace to the party who sinned against us. God's kindness and grace forgives us freely, fully, Finally, and it was costly. It was his son. If you put that every day into practice, if you press that truth every day into your life, you will not be able to withhold kindness from others. You see, a Pharisee says, comes into the whole arena of kindness. A Pharisee says, someone who believes that God loves me and accepts me for what I do and all the rules I keep and how well I attend church and, and read my Bible, that won't generate kindness. That's what a Pharisee does. But the gospel says, I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. I need to press in, constantly remind myself of the gospel, pressing in the truth that my righteousness is but filthy rags to God. So if you and I believe we're sinners, saved by grace, grace alone, then when you see somebody who may not have resources, may not have any friends, it may smell bad, look terrible, you say and you look at that person, you think, Lord, 
that is what I look like spiritually. My righteousness is filthy rags. I'm looking at a spiritual mirror. Pharisees look at the less fortunate and try to figure out right away, is he deserving of my generosity or not, or my kindness or not? But the gospel looks at people who God gave all his mercy to that are undeserving, and we say, God is kind, God is gracious, he extends his forgiveness at an infinite cost to his son, who am I to withhold kindness to others? So that's the foundation. The foundation is true kindness and forgiveness is realized what God has done for us. He's been kind to us, family. He's been kind to us when we didn't deserve to be kind too. He was forgiving toward us when we did not deserve his forgiveness. And it's only when you realize that we are the benefactors of his kindness, we're the benefactors of a kindness that you did not deserve. It is only when you realize you're a recipient of forgiveness that you did not deserve. Then suddenly, freed from the power of selfishness and bitterness, we realize God is gracious, God is kind, God is good more than I ever could have ever imagined him be to me. If you ever received an email from me, you know this. I wrote a little quote on the bottom, Tim Keller. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. Listen, the gospel of his love and kindness has set us free to be kind to those who we think may not deserve it, to forgive those who have offended us. The idea of just going out and being more kind, and that, that's the, just, listen, you already know that. I, I don't need to tell you you need to be kind. I don't need to tell you you need to forgive. Right, you, you already know that. How do we do that? How do we cultivate it? By deeply dwelling on the gospel, by regularly and relentlessly showing your heart his love and kindness and forgiveness first, showing your heart in an abundant and beautiful and lavish way the gospel that it changes you. There's a woman in Luke 7, woman of the city, a sinner. She hears that Jesus is reclining at a table with the Pharisees. You may know the story. She brings an alabaster, uh, alabaster flask of ointment. She stands behind him. She's crying. She's weeping. She wets his feet with her tears, wipes them with her hair of her head, and kisses his feet, anoints them with ointment, this act of devotion and love. And the Pharisee's like, yo, if he knew who she was, he wouldn't allow this. He calls himself a prophet. Jesus tells a short parable, a money lender, and he says to the Pharisees, you know what, guys? I hear you over there. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he turns to her and he says, woman, your sins are forgiven. You see, those who have recognized the real truth of their brokenness and inability to save themselves, those who recognize how much they've been forgiven, and all of us have been forgiven a lot, are humble people. They're willing to love and prepare to forgive. We don't want to be a Pharisee. We don't cultivate kindness through Pharisaic. There's got to be a fundamental, supernatural, awe-inspiring experience of the forgiveness and the love of God in your life that God has given you in Christ. When that fundamental, powerful, awe-inspiring, awe-inspiring experience comes into the life, the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God, we're set free from self-seeking, self-absorption, and allowed at that point to look outward because we are resting in the gospel. We have, 
we come to the ability to recognize that. And that's the mark of the Spirit. That is the work of the Spirit in our life. As we grow in the Spirit, recognizing the kindness and forgiveness of God, and we are kind toward one another. I'm going to end with a little insert of a, uh, in, just a little bit of a, a couple sentence here from a sermon in 1830s. Robert Murray McChain preached on a text that's called, It's More Blessed to Give Than to Receive. Listen to these words. Close your Bibles. Just give me one more minute, two more minutes. Listen to the words from this sermon, 1830s. Now, dear friends, nope, now, dear Christians, some of you pray night and day to be made branches of the vine, the true vine. You pray to be made all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in giving. This is, about, this is a sermon about giving. Though he was rich, 2 Corinthians, yet for our sakes he became poor. You have objections? My money is my own. I earned it. Answer? Christ might have said, my blood is my own. My life is my own. No man force it from me. Then where would we be? Objection? The poor are undeserving. Those who need my help. Answer? Christ might have said the same thing. They are wicked rebels against my father's law. Shall I lay down my life for these? I will give to the good angels, but no, he gave his blood for the undeserving. Objection? The poor may abuse it. Answer? Christ might have said the same thing. Yay, he says, with far greater truth. Christ knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise, that many would make it an excuse for sinning more. Yet he gave his own blood. Oh, my dear Christians, if you would be like Christ, give much. Give often, give freely, be kind to the vile and the poor and thankless and undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and so will you be. It is not your money I want, but your joy, your happiness. Remember his own words, it is more blessed than to receive. And then he ends with this, very convicting words. I hate to land on this, but we're gonna. He says, I fear there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. They're not giving to be a Christian, but out of the heart, he's talking about. He says, to give largely and liberally, not grudging at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, my dear friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity, end quote. He's talking about a generosity heart of giving. We could translate that and say generosity heart of giving and kindness. So if we see the cross and deeply grasp the kindness of God in the gospel toward us, how can our lives be marked by anything other than kindness? Father, thank you for the kindness you have shown to us in the gospel. And Lord, it is a work. It is something that we may not think a lot of. And we're asking, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would show us that this is part of the fruit of the Spirit. That we need to be kind. We need to be humble. We need to respond in actions and words and deeds in kindness for your glory and our joy. And we pray, Father, it's not about self-exaltation, but about the exaltation of Christ and the gospel. Help us to leave this place and be kind to one another, particularly, particularly kind in telling them of the good news of the Savior who was kind toward us, went to a cross, rose from the dead, calling everyone everywhere to come to him and believe. Help us to be a people that are kind, Lord, in Jesus' name.